I want to start this morning by telling you the story of the weirdest prison escape that ever happened. I'm sure you've heard stories of inmates who tied their bedsheets together so that they could climb out of their cell window. And I know you've heard the stories of prisoners who used spoons to dig their way through tunnels outside of the prison walls. But my guess is you have never heard a prison escape story quite like this one. It takes place in 2012 in the country of South Korea. There's a man named Choi Gap Bok who is arrested on suspicion of burglary. The local police book him into the city jail, and after he's sitting in his cell for just a little while, he starts to realize something pretty interesting. That the guards are not paying particularly close attention to what's going on inside the jail. In fact, the guard who is watching over his particular cell block is fast asleep at his desk. And that's when Choi Gap Bok decides to make his move. Now, I want you to think back to every prison show, every movie that's depicted prison that you have ever seen. If you remember, there's always that rectangular slot in the door that guards use to pass food trays back and forth to the inmates. You know the one I'm talking about. It's about six inches tall and about 17 inches wide. That little rectangular slot is going to become instrumental in Choi Gap Box Escape. You see, what the police didn't know about Choi Gat Bok, and what I haven't told you yet, was that he was a yoga master. And so he picked up a little bit of lotion from the prison commissary. He rubbed it all over his body, and he actually contorted himself somehow. I can't even explain how he would be able to do this. But he contorted his body, compacted it down to the point that he was able to fit his entire body through that little food tray slot and ooze his way right out the front door. That is so crazy. How could anybody do that? I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how that's possible. A couple hours later, the guards woke up and they realized that one of the prisoners was missing. And so they went back to look at the security footage. And what they found was that it only took this man 34 seconds to wriggle his way out of his cell and walk out the front door. I don't know about you, but I'm impressed with this guy. I guess it's not all that surprising, though, that prisoners would go to such great lengths to obtain their freedom. Because in truth, we all want more freedom, don't we? I was a youth pastor for 16 years, and I can tell you I never heard a teenager say, I wish I had less freedom. No employee ever says, you know, I wish the managers would keep a closer eye on me. Nobody says that, because nobody wants to live a life enslaved to the clock, or the boss's demands, or our parents' expectations. No one wants to live a life that's a routine or a rut. We all want freedom and meaning and purpose and excitement. We want to be truly alive. But we often have no idea how to experience anything beyond the daily grind. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through a series called Doing Time. And we're asking the question, is this as good as life gets? Or is it possible that we were created for more than what we have settled for? 
Because we look around and we see that everyone's busy, but we have a sinking suspicion that not everyone is happy. We certainly do a lot in our world, but does it mean a lot? And so we've gone to the scriptures to see what they have to say about finding purpose and meaning and fulfillment in our lives. And what we've discovered over the last couple of weeks is that fulfillment is found in your purpose, not in your accomplishments. You see, purpose relates to who you are, while accomplishments relate to what you do. And we believe fulfillment, meaning, uh, the, the life that you've always wanted to live is found in your purpose, not your accomplishments. So rather than starting with what you do in life, We want you to start with why you were given life in the first place. What is your purpose in this world? Now at Connect, we believe that all of us were created to experience four things. That every single person on the planet, including you, was meant to have these four elements in their life. We believe that you were created to know God. We believe you were created to find freedom We believe that you were put here to discover purpose, and lastly, to make a difference. Now, last week, we discussed how knowing God is possible through Jesus. We said that God is not a subject to be mastered as if he were chemistry or algebra, but he's a person to be known, and that knowing God is really the first step to finding the overflowing life that we talk about here at Connect Church. This week, we're going to drill down on the idea of finding freedom. How and where are you able to find your freedom? We're going to start by reading a passage of scripture in which Jesus speaks one of his most famous quotes. Even if you've never been to church before, you've heard these words, I would guess, dozens of times in your life. For some reason, politicians especially love to quote this saying, although they don't really use it the way that Jesus seems to have used it in the scripture. But if you can come to understand Jesus' words, then I believe they have the power to truly set you free. So we're going to begin reading in John chapter number 8, And in verse number 31, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along with me if you like on the screen. John chapter number 8, verse 31. The scripture tells us that Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And then in verse 32, Jesus utters these very famous words. And you will know the truth, and the truth, will set you free. The people listening to Jesus replied, But we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. So what do you mean you will be set free? These folks listening to Jesus, they were Jewish people. They were descendants of a man in the Old Testament named Abraham. And they say to Jesus, Who do you think you are? We are descendants of Father Abraham. We have always been special. We've always had a special relationship with God. We haven't been slaves of anyone, certainly in our lifetime. So how can you come along and say we need freedom in our lives? Verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, 
but a son is a permanent member of the family. So if the son sets you free, then you are truly free indeed. Now, I mentioned that this morning we want to talk about finding freedom. And talking about freedom might seem a little ironic considering that we live in Canada, one of the freest countries on earth. In fact, there was a major study that was done last year by a London-based think tank, and they ranked Canada as the freest country in the world. 94% of Canadians believe that they have the freedom to choose the course of their own lives. That's higher than any other nation on earth. So why do we talk about finding freedom? Don't we already have the freedom that we need? Well, remember what we said a moment ago. Everybody wants more freedom. Much of what we do is actually motivated by getting more freedom or more opportunity in life. For many of us, our parents moved from another part of the world here to Canada so that we could have more freedom. We're told from a young age that we need to do well in school. Because if you don't finish college, then you won't have as many options in life. That's another way of saying you'll have less freedom. We work really hard to earn money because money represents the freedom to have what we want. We've experienced entire cultural revolutions in which the sole goal was to allow people the freedom to do what they want. So freedom is something that everybody desires but I'm not entirely sure it's something that everybody understands. You see, I think there are some serious problems with the way that we pursue freedom in the 21st century, with the kind of freedom that we all seem to be chasing after. If you look up the definition of freedom, it is officially defined as the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Put differently, freedom is the ability to do whatever you want without anyone or anything holding you back. But you know, there are a couple of problems with that kind of freedom. First of all, we never have the power to act or speak or think as we want without hindrance. It it really doesn't exist. There are tons of things that we might want to say or do or think, but we simply are not free to. For example, you can't go to North Korea. Essentially, the government won't let you. You might like to travel there, but you're not free to do so. Sorry to burst your bubble, but you cannot date whoever you want. You may really want to go out with that blonde in HR, but if she doesn't want to date you, then you are not free to date her. You're also not free to shout the word fire in a crowded theater. Now, to be clear, I am not shouting the word fire in a crowded theater. But the point is there are tons of things we might want to do that we aren't actually free to do. And part of the reason that we never find the freedom that we seek is that the freedom we're looking for, it doesn't actually exist. There are always limits to our freedoms. You cannot act or speak or think without hindrance. There are rules that we have to follow in our world. I've had people say to me, I could never give my life to God because of all the rules that come with it. You know, it seems like the Bible is full of you shalls and you shall nots. But can I remind you that you live among you shalls and you shall nots every day. You have an employee handbook that's full of you shalls and you shall nots. Your wedding vows are essentially a collection of I wills and I will nots. 
We've said that we live in the freest country on earth, and yet at this very moment, there are thousands of laws that are dictating what we can and cannot do. You see, nobody is able to do whatever they want. So don't waste your life trying to reach some magical point where you're rich enough or influential enough or unhindered enough to do whatever you want without restraint. It's simply not possible. And besides, nobody wants to live in a world where people act that way. Nobody wants a neighborhood where people act or speak or think without any restraint. That would just be a society of, of jerks. Every time we see someone say or do something at the expense of another person, we think to ourselves, you know, that's not right. They shouldn't act that way. I was at Starbucks a few weeks back, and this lady customer came in, and, and she just ripped into one of the baristas because the service was slow and her order was wrong. It's like there had been all of this frustration that was building in her life, and she decided that when things didn't go her way at the coffee shop, she was going to unleash every bit of that pent-up anger at this young part-time bartender. She was exercising her freedom to think, speak, and act without restraint, and everybody in the coffee shop hated her for it. Another day in the same Starbucks parking lot. Maybe the problem is with Starbucks. Anyway, in the same Starbucks parking lot, I saw one driver cut off another driver. The driver who was cut off decided that he was not going to take that. And so he chased down the other guy, ripped open his driver door, and was screaming at him because he cut him off in traffic. This man was exercising his freedom to act and to speak however he wanted without anything holding him back. And yet our world was worse for it. You see, nobody wants to live in a world where people act without restraint. You don't want your boss to say whatever he wants. You don't want your husband to do whatever he wants without anything holding him back. So there's this irony in that we're trying to pursue a freedom that makes us worse off in the end. A freedom that leaves you isolated and disliked by the people around you. This is not the sort of freedom that Jesus offers us here in John chapter number 8. Another issue with the type of freedom that most people in our world are trying to find is that ultimately, many of the things that we pursue in the name of freedom only serve to enslave us more deeply. Now, I told you the story a, a few minutes ago about this Choi Gap Bach guy's escape from prison. And I guess in one sense, he found freedom. He was no longer incarcerated. But his freedom came with a constant fear of being caught. He wasn't able to go by his own name anymore. He had to take on a fake identity. It restricted his ability to go anywhere. He was free, but he wasn't really free, was he? And I think we're exactly the same when we try to find freedom on our own. I know people whose attitude is essentially, I want to be free to buy whatever I want. So I work 80 hours a week to afford it all. Now look, this is just my opinion, but that's just swapping one kind of bondage for another. I know young people who say, I want to have as much fun as I can in life. So their Fridays are spent partying, even if that means Saturdays are spent hungover. 
I know moms who want to be free of the feeling that they don't measure up. And so they act as though everything is okay when everything is not okay. I've had young men sit across from me at the counseling table and they say, look, Pastor Dan, I just started to visit these websites every once in a while, but now it's like an hour or more every single day. I know men who ate whatever they wanted to for 50 plus years of their lives, and then they had a heart attack. And so now their doctor and their wife determine what's on the menu every single day. I know people who show up to church because they've made a mess of things. And they think, if I get really involved, if I show God that this time I'm serious, maybe he'll see my hard work and he'll help me out of this mess. Can I just say in every one of those situations, people who are pursuing freedom are simply finding deeper bondage instead. There's more slavery, not less, in so much of what we pursue. If you want to know if you're pursuing the right kind of freedom, or if you're pursuing things that are only going to leave you more deeply enslaved, ask yourself this question. Does exercising my freedom often leave me full of regrets? Does exercising my freedom often leave me full of regrets? If so, then you are probably chasing the wrong kind of freedom altogether. There's one final problem with the way that we try to find freedom in our world. And that is, we think the biggest threats to our freedom are external, but in reality, they're internal. It's so easy For us to look at the circumstances in our lives that are causing us to live a dull and unfulfilled existence. We have a job we hate. We have kids that we love, but man are they draining. We're married to a spouse who doesn't seem to appreciate what we do. We have a professor who for some inexplicable reason actually seems to dislike us. And it becomes incredibly easy to resent them, to think they are the reason that we're miserable. They're the reason that I feel cooped up and caged in. This is the reason that so many people blow up their lives. It is. This is the reason that people file for divorce, they quit without notice, they drop out, or they run away. People think, if I could just start over, if I could just be free of those people or these things, then life could be good again. But have you ever noticed that wherever you go, you always bring you with you. Have you noticed that your jobs and your relationships, they seem to follow the same pattern? That's because according to Jesus, the biggest threat to our freedom is not other people, it's ourselves. According to Jesus, the primary reason that I'm not experiencing the job or the marriage or the life that I've always wanted, it's not him or her or them. It's me. Some of you might be on the edge of blowing it all up this morning because you want freedom. You think, if I could just get away, if I could just start over, if I could just find a new this or that, then finally I'd have the life I wanted. But can I tell you, that's not the type of freedom that you're looking for. In fact, there's a solid chance that in just a couple of years, you'll find yourself in the exact same situations that you're in now. Because it's not enough to address the symptoms of your problem. You have to address the cause of the problem itself. 
Jesus said in John chapter number 8, verse 32, the truth shall set you free. That means that hard work won't set you free. A big promotion is not enough to set you free. A healthy retirement account cannot set you free. A new wife is not going to set you free. A weekend in the mountains won't do it. Jesus said it's the truth that shall set you free. Now, it's not just any truth or all truth. Jesus actually has a very specific truth in mind when he makes this statement. He spells it out for us there in verse number 34. I'm going to tell you before we go back and read this, this truth, like all truth, can be a little hard to hear. There's a famous riff on Jesus' words here that says, The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. And I think that's true. Jesus' statement has the potential to anger you before it frees you. Why? Because he intentionally uses two very loaded words to make his point. Now, these are important words. They're not exaggerations or hyperbole. We have to take them seriously. Because if you can understand the truth that Jesus is trying to communicate, even though it's a very strong and direct truth, if you can come to understand it, then I believe you can find the freedom that God intends for you. So Jesus says, the truth shall set you free. What truth, Jesus? What is it that will set us free? In John chapter number 8, verse 34, Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. As I said, there are a couple of strong words in there. I'm sure you can pick them out right away. I want to dive into those words for just a moment so that we can understand the truth that Jesus is telling us. The first word he says there is sin. And that's an ugly little word, isn't it? It carries the idea that you have transgressed. You've broken the rules. That somehow you're wrong. You're not good enough. You've failed to live up. Perhaps you're even evil. Although that word is only three letters long, it carries a lot of baggage and emotion and implication behind it. It's also a word that's fallen out of favor in our society for a few different reasons. First, it's a religious word, and not everybody's religious, so some people don't think it's appropriate in public discourse. Well, fair enough. Another reason is that it's been used to marginalize and condemn people over the years. The word sin often creates an us versus them mentality because the people who are using the word, they, they often seem very willing to talk about your sin and my sin, but never their own sin. So that makes the whole concept seem hypocritical and judgmental. But let me ask you to do this for just a moment, just for the sake of this morning. Forget everything you've ever heard about the word sin. Forget what your grandmother told you. Forget what you heard some TV preachers say. I want you to pretend that this is a brand new word that you're encountering for the first time. Maybe you're reading through your Kindle and you come across this three-letter word that you've never seen before. And so you highlight it in order to get a definition. If you did that, you would find out that the word translated as sin comes from a Greek word that means to miss the mark. It means to fall short or to be off course. Sins are essentially attitudes or actions that cause you to deviate or to turn from God's goal in your life. Maybe a word picture will help. Let's suppose that you wanted to fly from Calgary to Regina. And yes, I realize that nobody wants to fly to Regina, but just roll with it for a minute, okay? 
You would head east, but not exactly due east. You would have to go slightly southeast. Now, if your plane's compass was off, if it was malfunctioning, even by just a few degrees, then you would miss your intended mark, Regina, and you would end up maybe in a place like North Dakota if you went too far southeast. And trust me, as somebody who's from the U.S., Regina is a paradise compared to North Dakota. That's exactly what sin is. It's an attitude or a decision that causes you to deviate from God's best course for your life. For example, God wants us to be lavishly generous with each other, just to be crazy givers when it comes to his kingdom and one another. Anytime that we choose selfishness instead of generosity, then we have missed the mark. To put it in theological terms, we've sinned. Another example, God designed us for true intimacy with our spouse. And anytime we choose a cheap substitute, then we've missed the mark. We've sinned. Now look, I'm not going to spend any time this morning trying to convince you that you are a sinner. You can decide for yourself whether you've missed the mark or you've fallen short. I honestly don't have any problem admitting that I missed the mark. I fall short of God's best for my life on the reg. Like, it happens constantly. If you say this morning that, no, that doesn't describe me. I don't miss the mark. I don't fall short. Then let let me buy you coffee sometime, all right? Because I would love to know your secret. I need some help. I think any of us who are honest can admit that, yeah, look, if there's such a thing as sin, there are probably times that I fall on that side of the line. But if sin is just missing the mark, then perhaps it wouldn't be too difficult to course correct. Maybe we could work a little bit harder to realign ourselves so that we don't miss the mark in the future. But Jesus uses another very strong word here in in verse 34 to describe for us why that simply can't work. Go back to John 8, 34. It's that second powerful word in the verse. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Slave. It's another ugly word. There are a lot of things that we could say about Jesus' use of that word here, but I'll only make one quick point. And that is that Jesus is not making some broad statement about slavery. That's not his purpose. Jesus was not pro-slavery. The Bible is not pro-slavery. Rather, Jesus is using the metaphor of a slave to make a statement about our inclination to sin more often than not. You see, a slave has no control over himself. He does whatever his master tells him to do. He has no freedom. There's that word again. According to Jesus, there is something about us that causes us to behave like a slave to sin. No matter how hard we try, we'll continually miss the mark. It's like our compass is broken. I sin more often than I get it right. I lose my temper instead of keeping my cool. I continue to eat even after I'm full. I look down on other people for their mistakes, all the while ignoring my own issues. And I'm not the only one. Jesus offers us freedom from the compulsion to choose our own ways. Ways that often leave us miserable and full of regrets. Ways that are contrary to God's best plan for our lives and for our world. Jesus promises that when the Son sets you free, 
then you will be free indeed. Now here's how I want to define the freedom that Jesus offers. This is not found directly in the Bible. I can't take you to any specific verse like Hezekiah chapter number uh, 3 verse 14 and say here's the definition of freedom. But I do believe this principle is taught throughout the scriptures. This is what biblical freedom is. If the world's definition of freedom is the ability to do whatever you want without hindrance or restraint, then I think the biblical definition of freedom is this, the ability to do those things that leave you with no regrets forever. I believe you are truly free when you can do those things that leave you with no regrets forever. You see, God doesn't want you to spend your life chasing a version of freedom that leaves you miserable and full of regrets. God wants you to find true freedom in Jesus. We find that freedom when we confess our sin to God. In 1 John chapter number 1, verse 19, the scripture tells us that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wrongs. We simply admit to God the ways in which we've missed the mark. God, today, I was angry instead of calm. Today, I was anxious instead of comforted. God, today, I was greedy instead of content. We simply admit the ways that we've missed the mark. Now, the good news is that God promises to forgive us and to set us free if we remain close to him. You don't have to go through a priest or a pastor to confess the ways that you've missed the mark, the ways that you've sinned. You simply admit those things to God and then ask him for new mercy each day. And the other thing that we need to do is we need to confess to one another the things that we've done wrong, the ways in which we've missed the mark. In James chapter number five, the scripture says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you can be healed. We believe, and research has proven this out time and again, that freedom is found in community. That if you want to overcome habits and addictions and thought patterns or sins in your life, the most effective way to do it is to be surrounded by people who love you and who encourage you to become the person that God intends for you to be. The scriptures say that when we confess our sin to God, we're forgiven, but that when we confess our sin to one another, we're healed. There's something good about admitting the way life is really going for you. So we're going to invite you to come down this morning to the front here in front of the microphone, and we're going to ask you to confess everything that you've ever done. No, I'm kidding. Of course we're not going to do that. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't ask you to do that either. What we do want you to do, though, is to find someone that you can trust and be honest with them. Tell them if your marriage is strained. Tell them if you're feeling tempted to do something you'll regret. Tell them if you're struggling in your faith. If you don't have somebody in your life that you trust, then come talk to us. We'd love to pray with you so that you can experience the freedom and the healing that God has for you. And let me encourage you with this one final thing. Make plans to join a small group. They start just after the new year, and they will be a huge help in giving you the breakthrough that you're seeking because true freedom is found in community. We're all seeking freedom, but most of us are looking for a version that doesn't exist or will leave us more miserable in the end. Instead, let me encourage you to find true freedom in Jesus. If you allow him to overcome the things in your life that are holding you down, I promise you'll experience the overflowing life and avoid simply doing time. Mm-hmm.